yeah, what happened to my veg? I got shorted on vegetarian chili. I'm telling Fran. Well, I can uh, drop you off a little uh, Tupperware or whatever. Um, oh, you have it? I do. I do. Yeah. It's uh, it's basically my my uh, lunch or like it's like uh, huevos rancheros kind of thing. But you'll, you'll get Where some chili, Hannah. Let's let's focus on uh, the people in Miami. Anyone listening? Today we have a special guest. Hannah Baumgarten. Very nice. Okay. That's all I have to do to answer all security questions is just pronounce my last name. <laughs> no, because I've gotten the last name ridiculously wrong before. But uh, anyhow, we met at Harvey's. Uh, there was a, a Miami Arts Line, which is a, uh, a magazine, um, oh, an online magazine that Harvey, one of the guests of the podcast, he had an anniversary party. And uh, one, there was Fran, who's also another guest. And then you came rolling in with a big smile and naturally we like started dancing salsa right there and like hugging it out and uh got a picture of you already right over there it was on ocean drive so i was like all right well i guess this podcast is going to run itself uh this winter <laughs> it's been uh yeah it's, it's the first episode actually so um yeah there's a lot of characters in miami and uh, you are definitely one of them you have a big vibrant smile and you're creative, so obviously you're in dance. Uh, artistic director of Dance Now, which has been alive since 20, 2000, right? So it's been over 20 years. Um, and, and I'm only 26. And you're only 26. <laughs> wow. They just got some, kidding. Like, new robots coming out that <laughs> just like right. fooling everybody. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. Leave dance now. And actually, I asked if like, is there any classes I could take with you? But it turns out you're actually more of like a performance group that uh, that I've yet to really see see in person. And so one, one reason that we're doing it this week is there's an awesome Sunday show at the North Beach Band Shell called Fall for Dance Now, and uh, fifteen bucks and about an hour and a half, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. And uh, you know, it's going to be a spectacular day, beautiful fall weather. And so hopefully they'll fall for dance now and then stay with us the rest of the season. Yeah, it'll be right at at sunset, right? A little bit after sunset. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm excited. I think I actually watched some of your YouTube videos today to like prepare and you know, there's some kind of like effect that it, that watching dance has on you. Uh, very calming, and it's just so beautiful, right? Obviously, it's accompanied by music and classical music, but to see dancers contort their bodies in those such ways and, and express that kind of emotion is uh, it's cathartic in a way, or it's it's like kind of like healing, or it's therapy a little bit. It's like I don't know. Like once after I saw that, I was like. It, it did have an effect on me that I don't always get from other kinds of media or whatever. So, well, you know, I mean, contemporary dance, unlike classical ballet, it is really about the um, expression of the human experience. Right. Whereas ballet, classical is a classical art form and is the origin, one of the origins of contemporary dance. But classical ballet is comes from um, a different. Um, it comes from Western Europe. It tells the stories of kings and queens, mm. fairy tales, um, um, fantastical dramas, not necessarily real life human experiences. You're saying, uh, was ballet more like Russia that started the ballet? Well, uh, it actually, it started in the courts in Italy, and then it was formalized and codified in the courts of, courts, courts, <laughs> in the courts of Louis XIV of France. So all of the terminology of ballet is in French. Mm. Russia gained um, 
access to it very soon after. And the Russian uh, ballet scene is immense. It's yeah. one of the top in the world, which relates a lot to South Florida because it bled into Cuba. And Cuban, the Cuban ballet style is also one of the most elite forms. They do Russian training. So, well, yeah, it, they're friends with the Russians. Yes, right yes, they have that history with <laughs> Russia. And so that bled really in, in the ballet world as well. But then modern dance really was formed in the early 1900s by a woman named Isadora Duncan, who was one of the founders. She really believed that she wanted to uh, remove the corset, remove the point shoes, remove the ideology of the kings and the queens, and um, tell the stories of humanity. And she was a, a fabulous choreographer. It just so happens we're performing some of her work, historical work, on... Um, Sunday the 14th and it's a rare opportunity because unlike other forms really old pieces that you don't have access to there was no video the only way you can see old dance is reconstruction right which is passed down person to person there's no uh, writing out of choreography there is lava notation but unless you, you when you read it you can't understand it it's just a bunch of symbols so you don't get that experience that you said when you saw the work that that expression of humanity is what we're going for with modern and contemporary dance, and you can only see that in person. So what people will see if they come on the 14th is um, not a reenactment, but they will experience this the same work that was seen in 1914 and 1921 when those pieces were premiered. Yeah. I have a question before we dive into your story. Like, what... What do your regulars look like? Like the people who actually like come to these shows, maybe who don't even have kids and they're not they're not like associated with your dancers. They're not the friends and family. Who are like the diehards who love you guys? Because like everyone's got to have their 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 regulars. Um, fans, you know? it, yeah, you mean like the demographic who? Yeah, I'm just interested to see what kind of crowd is there. Well, I like... would say modern dance and contemporary dance in general uh, is more young intellectuals, people that read more that um, are not so much uh, drawn to pop culture that are more drawn to um, uh, I would say a little bit more esoteric um, oftentimes not people with children so it's not adults yeah, not the couples it's no. uh, well it's I, couples but I would not, say couples, not bringing the kids but there, not bringing I, the uh, kids because subject matter can become powerful and subject matter can have allusion to, again, that human experience of pain or pleasure mm-hmm. or uh, relationships, um, both romantic and otherwise, that are complex. And so we perform often for children, and we have a- annual performances where school children are brought in. We never do performances with work made for children. We just make sure it's appropriate for children. There is no particular nudity or um, obviously graphic language in any of the music, but we find that children often can process contemporary dance very well, but they don't, they're not a big audience for us because it's hard to pinpoint what contemporary dance is. It's easy when you say it's ballet. People say, oh, ballet. Mm-hmm. They know there's going to be ballerinas, tutus, point shoes, fairies. Lovely. Men twirling in the air, men lifting women up in the air. With contemporary dance, it could be a very wide range of things. Yeah, there's less constraints. There's more possibilities. So it's a little bit harder to define and harder to 
really get a grasp of. I mean, it's it's a little bit more wild. You know, that's yes. why I was seeing some of these yes. videos were just like yes. wild. How, I mean, anyway. So, I'm excited to uh, to see what kind of people. Go. It, it, actually, one question before I dive into your story: does it, does it start with a song, like a great piece, and then you're like, that's the inspiration for the movement, or does it? Sometimes you have a you you want to express some kind of emotion or story, and then you find a musical piece for it, or does it start with the music, or does it start with so, the, the? Often dance starts with music. Very often, because, I mean, we have our heartbeat, we have our inner rhythm, we all move. Every child hears music and, and twirls around the living room. Um, but, as, so yes, they're, they're, they are intrinsically connected. And this is something that actually has just changed because of COVID tremendously. So, oftentimes, literally you can hear a piece of music and it conjures movement in your mind. You see it happening before you say, I have to put this music to dance. As you become a more um, practiced choreographer, oftentimes you have an idea first. And the idea is what drives you to find the right mm -hmm. music for it. Now, when I say everything has changed because of COVID, as you create art, if you're using someone else's art, you have to pay them for it. So you have to get the rights to use the music if you're going to create to it. As a, as a professional organization, right. a student organization doesn't, an educational organization less. And so we, of course, do that and did that up until COVID when everything went online. And unfortunately, when I get, seal the rights, when I reserve the rights and I pay for the rights to perform a piece, I haven't paid for the rights to broadcast them Just online. Yeah, yeah. It's a very different thing. So we had already started developing very intimate, close relationship with four or five different composers. And as soon as we understood what was going on with COVID, we knew we had to really focus on that. So almost everything that we do now is to original music. And that creates a different dynamic because sometimes a composer will, that we work with will have a piece of music and we take it. Other times we say, this is what we're looking for, this is an idea, here's a sample of a piece of music that is inspiring to us, but we want you to make an original. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it's, a, it's completely different and we start and create work in silence, send a video to a composer, they look at it, they become inspired, uh -huh. and then the braiding starts, and then the interweaving happens. But yes, as an initial point of departure, often it's the music. Right. So how did you get so in love with dance, Hannah? Let's yeah. start with you. Let's say, where were you born? I know I read that you uh, you would go back to Jerusalem a lot or something. Or what yes, was that well, about? So where well, were you born? I was born in Santa Cruz, California. Santa Cruz, California. It was a great place to be born and raised, a very um, open-minded community. My father is a professor at the university. And my mother worked at the city planning um, department. My mother had been a dancer uh, as, a, as a young person and a, as a teenager. And when I was five years old, she put me in ballet. So I um, enjoyed it. I loved it. I loved the performing. I loved the musicality of it. And when I was six, actually when I was first born, we lived in Israel, but I hadn't started dancing yet. My parents... Um, our Zionist. You were born in Israel? No, no, but I went there when I was four months old. So months. it was all, I mean, my first words were in Hebrew. My first steps were in, in Jerusalem. And then we came back to the United States, but I don't recall that. Then when I was six, we went back again, and I, and I lived there. And I started studying um, 
dance more seriously at a conservatory in Jerusalem. And I actually studied both ballet and the classical modern dance technique, Graham technique from Martha Graham. She was a big influence. She started a company in Israel. So I was really um, introduced to both those classical dance forms at a very young age. And I loved it. I, um, there are some studies that actually came out of Israel about a genetic disposition for dance. And there are two genes that are slightly different. And they, the identities that they find are um, uh, movement connected to uh, spirituality and movement connected to community. So those are the ways that people identify what they have found as genetic markers. So there is something about coming together with other people, moving with them, and intimacy that you share with them. That is, you're a dancer. You experience that. You probably have part of that genetic disposition. And dance is connected to spirituality. Well, the origin of dance around the fire with the shaman was always ritualistic and spiritual. Mm-hmm. So... Sounds a bit like introvert extrovert a little bit. There's yes, absolutely. There's there absolutely uh-huh. there's introvert extrovert qualities absolutely in in all dancers. And so I loved it. I love the theatrics of it. I have had my most spiritual moments of my life on stage, um, and also the most intimate moments with other human beings yeah. beyond comparable to romantic intimacy, sometimes exceeding those intimacies because um, almost because it's not your romantic partner, your lover, your wife, your husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. It is someone that you're having this other experience and then the intimacy that you share with the audience. And it's public, right? Right, exactly. Anytime it's public, it becomes a little more uh, sensational because you are actually... You know, your other people are, are watching and, and you're affecting their experience and you're affecting their Correct, day and exactly. life. And so it's more powerful, those moments that are shared. Yeah, for so sure. So all of those things uh, resonated with me. I mean, even when I was in La Boutique Fantasque and I was a bear tied up and a giant bear suit. Or, you know, as a, as a young person, uh, you know, one of the character roles of the bear. <laughs> what were you for Halloween uh, recently? Um... Uh, this Halloween, I was a skeleton because I was giving my students an anatomy quiz on the bones of the body. So uh-huh. I worked it in to Halloween. So I came in yeah. as a skeleton Very and then efficient. my costume ended up up on the wall and we did a pin the femur on the femur kind of game. What's common for, do dancers like, are they always like swans and like things like that? Or like, is there a common like stereotype for dancers on Halloween? I think dancers... Um, I think dancers probably dress up less. Yeah. Because we are in costume all the time. They don't want to be hindered in their movement too. They're not going to wear it in like big boxes. But but we had a show. Uh, we had a show that weekend, which was a, a community show with eight different organizations performing that we helped organize. Our dancers did the warm up class in costume, and you know they they ran the gamut from um, you know one of the Disney princesses, Cruella. One person was Uma Thurman from Kill Bill, you know. But yes, all costumes that were movable, very they could pliable in them, you know. Not too, uh, not too many accessories. No, you know, you don't want to drop those on the floor. No. <laughs> Anyhow, so you love dance, and so already in high school, I'm sure you were enjoying the limelight and your performances, and so 
you went to the Juilliard School. Was that right out of high school, or was that? Was... Uh, uh, well, you know, I mean, this is a story for all um, all of us who aspire to something. I um, had good training. I was very interested. And I was able to graduate high school in three years because dance is also a short career, right? I'm, I'm 52 and I had my hip replacement at 40. I you were 26. I'm, <laughs> I'm 26. Uh, times two. <laughs> times, times two, two exactly. You, you give your half age to everybody. That's right. Um, I'm start doing that. I mean, I had my hip replaced when I was 45. So, you know, it, there is a short life. It's very, very aggressive on your body. And so I said, you know, I, I need to get out of high school year early. So I pushed. I, I took all my courses. And I auditioned for schools around the country, including Juilliard, uh, including University of Utah, UC Irvine, I'm in California. And Juilliard just told me definitively no. Not only no, as in, are you smart? Maybe you should look into something else, no. <laughs> and instead of um, taking that advice, I went to another university, University of Utah, that has an excellent dance program that feeds into both a major modern and a major ballet company in Salt Lake City and I started there I was of course a year early after two years there I was um, really introduced finally to modern dance I had been strictly a ballet dancer mm -hmm. up till that point and I fell madly in love with this one style of modern dance and I quit college and I packed my bags and I moved to New York City to pursue studying this particular genre of modern dance called the Muller Technique after this woman, Jennifer Muller. Trained in New York, uh, started dancing professionally, about 18 at that point, um, I guess between 18 and 19. So there's 19. a few of these studios and theaters where you knew you could find work at one of them? Kind of well, thing. I mean, there's tons of training in New York, there, uh, before COVID, of course, uh, many years before COVID. So you would go to New York, you train at a studio, finding the right teacher that's good for you, and then all the companies are based there. It's, it's the epicenter for mm -hmm. the dance world. So as you grow, you can have opportunity to perform. That's exactly what happened. I started training. I got jobs with small companies. A few years in, I was performing in a group, and one of the dancers was a part, she was only performing part-time. She was a student at Juilliard. And my boyfriend at the time was like, you're better than her. Why don't you go audition for Juilliard again? Mm. I did, and I was accepted um, with a half scholarship, which for a woman is unheard of. And I, fled, I, I sped through the program in three years, which is also, I'm one of only, I think, two people that's ever done that. Again, because they were trying to promote me to, to get out so I could start my professional career. And um, was, you know, 10, 10 feet tall on a poster on Lincoln Center. So, I mean, oh, yeah. The, yeah. So my story for people is... You can't always swim against the stream, but sometimes you can. Sometimes you can um, accept that other people know more than you, but that you can still make, go around. Plus your own path. You mm -hmm, can take carve the path, your own path. travel and whatever. And you can actually achieve it. The thing that I was trying to do, going to Juilliard, ended up graduating with flying colors yeah. and danced professionally in New York with several companies before I move down to Florida. Yeah. Well, I think the lesson maybe is that, uh, you know, if there's some dream you had and it's a no for now, maybe you just need to not kill time, but take a little path to go off the beaten trail and learn some new skills, discover some new things, come back with a bit more value onto that main path. And then now 
okay, like now they're ready for you. You know, like you've learned a bit more. You've, you've, you know, you've discovered things. And you know, it, life is about a good fit. You know, you can love that pair of pants, but if it's not a good fit, they're just not going to look good on you. So you have to know. And I think what you said about adding value, I think that's exactly right. I think you have to know at, at what point it's not about kicking and screaming and demanding. It's about what can I do to improve myself? What can I do to know myself better? Mm-hmm. What can I do to open myself up to the parts that I'm missing? And then once you have that full picture, then you'll even know if that original dream is right for you or not. It might not be. You might be ready to go off, speed off in a different direction. Right. But just never, uh, always keep moving, I guess, is the moral, right? And, yeah. and keep just keep self-improvement. Yeah, sit back. Make sure, there we go, yes. Make sure that you can, you're, we're both in the, in the video and we're, comfortable, right? And Ideally. with this beautiful palm tree. Ideally. Um, so, okay, and I think that's how we get it higher. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, this is fun. This is actually the first one that we'll put up on YouTube. Uh, I'm see. I'm finally getting more serious about all this stuff. You know, like I was like, oh yeah, you should put your stuff on YouTube, and I'm like, yeah, but like I don't even listen to YouTube stuff really. I listen on like, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You have a great voice. Well, what I'm saying is like I've been lazy to put it out on other channels that I don't really like go on that much. Well, this will be the first. But we'll this will see be how the first one. And obviously, you're a very. Oh, I just touched your boob. I'm sorry. You're a very beautiful okay. lady. Uh, and... <laughs> and now we're gonna, <laughs> we've, now we're being intimate, and that will be on YouTube. So. <laughs> well, if that's the definition of intimacy, then uh, I got things to learn. Actually, but. as a, as a as a dancer, you know, we have a, a very aggressive physical contact with each other. So, oh, yeah? you know, as we're training our, our students, that's one of, you know, my other passions is teaching. And they have to learn at an early age. You will contact people in ways that you did not anticipate. And it's fine because it's business. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we're going to keep the camera on uh, and we'll see what happens. But Just keep gonna... that hand in. <laughs> no, this is my stance typically, though. It's like my belly, hand on the belly stance, uh, the belly, the stomach shocker or whatever. I like just like my hands there. It's the seat of pleasure is your gut actually, and so and I they actually say it controls so much now. Yeah, gut brain connection. Mm-hmm. So like I tend to have my my palms like on my belly a lot of times. Like even when I'm walking, it's like a yeah. it's like a big Buddha belly, you know, uh-huh. a Buddha walk, you know, yeah. uh, a big Buddha six pack someday maybe. But um, <laughs> anyhow, not, it's not about me. So you were in New York, and you got into Juilliard school, and you you know you fast tracked you out of there. Wanted to kind of. I guess be a leader in the space, right? And uh, and and actually, I should mention that um, the 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 skipping stone of your life. You don't realize as you're going through your life, the people that you see, you will see again the important people. So I had met a teacher at a, an institution in the in the Berkshires called Jacobs Pillow that I trained at one summer. When I came back to Juilliard the second time to audition. He was on faculty. His name is Ben Harkarvi. And I, I just mentioned that because, you know, you always want to honor your mentors, but that he had seen where I was and where I became. And he became a huge advocate of mine, a mentor. And he is the one who helped me understand that I wanted, that he was suggesting and helping me to fast track as a leader in the, in the arts community. If I had stayed in New York, probably would have been there. I chose to leave, but I took with me all the lessons so that I could continue to grow dance, my work, the arts community training. He was the first, he was the founder of a, a very famous company called the Netherlands Dance Theater in Holland, and he was the first uh, director to put 
point shoes, flat shoes, and bare feet on the same stage. So he was really pioneering this idea of what contemporary dance is, that it, there are no divisions mm. between modern dance and classical dance, and that they both speak to the human condition, that they both speak to audiences similarly. And so uh, just to piggyback on what you were saying when I was there, it was every teacher I had um, made a profound impact on me. Yeah. You know, I say I fast-tracked. I, I almost regret not taking all the four years mm. because there were things that I missed, but absolutely every, every educator that I interacted with, every teacher, whether it was um, in the dance program or in my aesthetics or in my music history, which you have to study if you go to school there. Um, my partner, Diego, he says at Juilliard, they put a chip in you and they send you out so that if you interact with other people that went to Juilliard, we all sort of have a common mission Mm. of excellence, of education, of exploration. Um, we, uh, when, when we meet each other, uh, we all find that we have done similar things in our different fields because we have understood our role. And we've been given sort of the honor of, but also the responsibility of moving our art forward. Okay. So what was this decision to come to Florida? Like, what was the story of that? It was a man. It's always love here. If you meet people here, I would say 80% of the people here move because of love. It was my, my partner in, in New York. He um, was unhappy living there. It was too stressful for him. And it was too stressful for me because there were no jobs. It was um, in the recession of the early 90s. Mm -hmm. And I was almost getting every job that I auditioned for, but not getting any of them. Of the big jobs. Almost, yeah, you're close. So I would be in the last eight, the last three, the last two. Just didn't get the job. And so the hit is hard, right? The hit is hard when you know you're the last two, when you're the last three. Mm. And you've been working for two weeks, auditioning. It's a, it's a brutal process, the performing arts and the audition cycle. And there was a moment where I said... I heard about this company in Florida. I heard that the scene is blossoming. I know that they just declared a historic preservation neighborhood. I know there's a large gay community. These are all things that um, feed art and culture, right? People are starting to respect the architecture. There's, of course, the gay community supports the arts, um, often because it's people with two incomes and no children for many years. Right. Now there's more more um, gays with, with children, but, but also um, that's part of the, the, their paradigm is to support arts and culture. And uh, it was sort of blossoming. So I knew if there was something happening, I could kind of get in on the ground level. And when I came here, I mean, there were six buildings downtown. How long ago were you here? Did I moved, you come here? I moved here Christmas Eve, 1994. 1994. Nice. Two and years after my birthday. Oh, yeah. there you go. So, I'm, I'm assuming uh, South Beach still had its Art Deco scene, um, you know, but I, I imagine that Greater Miami was so different, right? Like, downtown, Brickell, all that was very different. There was nothing. Was there were six buildings. Yeah. I'm not joking. Six oh, buildings yeah. downtown. There was the SunTrust, which is now, I guess, Bank of America. There was Liberty Tower, um, uh, the Courthouse. Um, the museum was downtown, and there was the Agam building on 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 the Brickell Key, but there was nothing. 
and there was no reason to go there. Everything shut down at 4.30. There were some Brazilian electronic shops. Miami was a vastly different place. The dance community was fueled by the New World School of the Arts. The New World School of the Arts, the founding dean of dance, Daniel Lewis, had been at Juilliard for 21 years. Mm-hmm. He brought to the, to the it was started as Payback, which was like um, a vocational school for the arts. And through some collaborations with the, with the city and the county, they founded this performing arts high school and college. And it really served and still serves as like the anchor for the arts and the artists that come out of Miami. I mean, um, uh, Terrell McCraney, who wrote uh, Moonlight, that won the Oscar. Oh, yeah? He went to high school at New World School, New World School of the Arts for theater. So this institution that was in downtown Miami was sort of modeled after other urban schools like Booker T. Washington or LaGuardia, you know, Cal, um, uh, other, other major cities that have um, art schools. It sowed the seeds. And it uh, employed, as professors of dance, several people that had companies. And so there were four or five modern dance companies. There was Miami City Ballet was founded only... 10 years before maybe I came here, so it was just a baby. Um, and it was a different, very different scene. I mean, my mother still calls South Beach downtown. Right, that back then. That's because that it was, was it. Yeah. That was, this was, this was like Manhattan Island was, was yeah. the beach. I lived here, actually I lived at Euclid, 8th yeah. and Euclid. Um, then I moved north to Surfside and now I kind of split the difference. I live in North Beach. I, I love Miami Beach. I love being near the water. For me, yeah. it's, it's really important. Um, but I am very happy about the development. People complain and the traffic and the, the people, but I didn't want to live in a city that didn't have a metropolitan center. And I was worried that Miami would end up being like L.A. or Phoenix, which is very decentralized suburban mm-hmm. downtowns and then just only freeway driving. Now, I know we do have a lot of traffic and it's going to get worse, but I don't really mind. I think there's going to be some solutions. There's going to be some... Um, monorails and more trains and trams and such but this city's incredible yeah we're small enough that like I, I, I don't know like, I, I love what is happening there's something about me. Miami Beach and then having like the, the bay in between like just means that we'll always like be you can ping pong between like Brickell and South Beach and like that forever will be enough like of a world or like and then you can go beyond a little Haiti a little Havana Go to Doral. I mean, those might end up. Doral is blossoming. I I still haven't even been there since Doral City Center opened. But I mean, the downtown corridor. My dance now. We rehearse at Little Haiti Cultural Complex. That's our home, and I really feel like Little Haiti is the north boundary of the downtown corridor. Mm -hmm. I think it really starts in Little Haiti. It runs through downtown and then across to Brickell. Coconut Grove. And then into Coconut Coral Grove. And I, and I believe, well, I think Coral Gables is already a little bit beyond what I call the downtown corridor. I think mm-hmm. that it sort of bottoms out at Coconut Grove. That's where I believe there should be a... Sweet. <laughs> Sorry. No worries. That'll be exciting for the viewers. No, no, no. no. We're going to get better at, at this. Uh... All right. So how did you meet Diego is what I want to know. Because um, oh, it's the so Dance I, Now yes, started, Yes, right? Dance Now. I was... Um, living and teaching on Miami Beach mm-hmm. at a um, collective called Pan Performing Arts Network. It still exists, but it's not at the 555 17th Street, right next to Jackie Gleason, where it started. And um, 
one of the things that was here when I moved that has dissolved a lot was the third most important modeling community in the world. It had bumped out, it was actually New York, Milan, Miami. It had bumped out all the other cities. All of the major modeling agencies were here, and I mean, the town was filled with the most gorgeous creatures you'd ever seen in your life. Um, and this beautiful man came to take my ballet class, and I said, oh, nice to meet you. What are you doing? Are you a dancer? You have a beautiful body, beautiful feet. Wasn't really that coordinated. So I was like, he's not really a dancer. And he said, no, um, I met my boyfriend in Milan modeling, and he's a dancer, so I want to kind of know what his life is about. And so I said, great. So he was one of my students for a good part of a year. And then at a certain point, he said, my boyfriend's coming and you'll get to meet him. So one day in early August, he showed up and with his boyfriend with him. And that was Diego. And for us, I would say it was sort of a love at first sight kind of moment. It was like bells and whistles. And this is a, a very, it was a very surprising um, meeting moment yeah so moment, Diego yeah. was his boyfriend was the boyfriend Diego model Diego was guy? the boyfriend okay. who he I mean he was a dancer he was a professional dancer on television but he also did a, a good deal of modeling and he had met him I think he was dancing in Milan and the other gentleman was um, was working as a model and he came and I, I literally I said yeah this is the partner I've been waiting my whole life to meet oh yeah and we hit it off very quickly, and uh, he, I think he went back to Italy, he's from Rome, and he was living in Italy. He went back, and then he eventually returned, and at first, we were sort of bosom buddies working with other local companies. We worked with Momentum Dance Company, we worked with Karen Peterson and Dancers, and we worked both with Ballet Flamenco La Rosa, mm -hmm. but very quickly, we started sort of, and we and then we also taught. We, we found places to teach. But very quickly, uh, dancers started sort of circling around us and asking us to start a company. And Diego was more excited about this than I was. I think he's a, a, just a few years older. And his career, I think, had peaked in a different way as a television. I mean, he would never say a star, but he was a pretty big star. He was the partner to all the big showgirls, and he was on uh, television doing the variety shows, which we don't think of right now as understanding what those are, but it was more like the Ed Sullivan show, like a very big, full orchestra playing live for them, the biggest celebrities, the biggest comedians, the biggest singers, the best showgirls and dancers on television. Uh, and there was a moment where I think he realized this is only going to last so long. I want to do my own thing. He had met me and he said, let's start a company. I'm really ready. And he actually got turned away at the border and sent back because he had crossing visas. So he had applied for his visa to mm -hmm. work, but he was coming in on a tourist visa mm -hmm. and they, they bounced him. Mm -hmm. So at that point, then he actually got a job in, in Italy and, and toured Italy uh, with Gisela Johnson, uh, um, a choreographer that had created a touring show. And he was just so antsy, he just said, the minute I can, we're going to start the company. So we came, he came back, and the, the name of the company, Dance Now, uh, comes from an old Maimonides uh, saying, you know, if I'm not for myself, who is for me? And if I'm beside myself, who is going to help me? And if not now, 
when yeah. and I kind of misquoted that's not exactly what it is but it's it's a, I had it on my wall when I was growing up and it's sort of about taking control and knowing that you have to be responsible for yourself and you have to pick the moment and do it so what is the mission of dance now like do you establish that with Diego or? yes oh yes we have our mission established it's it's to promote our artistic vision as individual and collaborative artists that's one of the things that unique to our company is that we create art together which is almost unheard of in any field um, often there are secret collaborations that people don't know about like the sculptor Christo gets all the credit for wrapping everything but actually we have discovered after his death that his wife was a huge part of it or like um, I believe um, one what Debussy there's a I think it's Debussy one of the romantic composers his wife actually wrote all a lot of music that he was credited for we create work together so the mission is our creative vision it is to um, create promote and present high quality dance that um, represents our South Florida community and the international community that makes up South Florida. We're an internationally collaborative company, people from two different continents. And it's to nurture and promote uh, the creation and education of dance in this community, nationally and internationally. Okay, so that's what gets me excited. It's like what a, I think I saw something about like 5,000 students have like participated before or something like that. Or like, what's this? 35,000 students. Over time, over 20 years? Over the 20 years. So what does that look like? How are you like getting these kids dancing or are they choosing to sign up or like, are are is it part of one of their, one of their classes or? Um, We have, our educational program is multifaceted. For adults, we offer some classes to the community. We don't have a school per se. We're in the Little Haiti Cultural Complex, which is a city of Miami facility. We do have any classes that we have for the company. The general public is welcome to come as long as they have an intermediate to advanced level because mm-hmm. they're not beginner classes. We have it sometimes had those, but not currently. From our home at the Little Haiti Cultural Complex, we have a program called the World Dance Summer Intensive. And that's an exciting program where we invite the other organizations that are dance organizations from Little Haiti, which include Dulu Africa Dance Ensemble, Tradition La Kulakai Haitian Folklore Dance Company, uh, Atma Yoga Dance Company uh, had been in residence there, and our company. And we create between a one and three week summer program that is modeled after some of the, the intensives that we teach around the world for the Joffrey Ballet, for Interlochen in Michigan, um, programs that I've attended, Boston Ballet School, et cetera, et cetera, where they train five days a week, eight hours a day. In our case, again, embracing the international community that is South Florida, they get to experience other dance forms that they wouldn't normally. So not just ballet, modern dance point. They learn Afro-Haitian, West African, yoga. Uh, They've learned capoeira styles. They've had hip-hop. That offers, uh, that's a more um, open program to the community. And usually uh, through subsidies through the city of Miami or the Foundation for New Education Initiatives, we're able to give scholarships to 100% of the students. Because a program like this usually costs about $1,000 a week we're able to reduce that cost to about, because we have to pay the, so many teachers, to about $300 a week and then reduce it further and usually it's a $50 registration fee. So oh, wow. because 
we want to make the art of dance accessible to these students, we make sure that the tuition can be covered. Then the third major part of our educational program is that we go to a different school every year. And we spend eight to 10 weeks teaching three days a week. Always it used to be Diego and I, now we send our dancers. So this year, for example, we have Anthony Velasquez and Fatima Andere, two of our dancers. They are going to John A. Ferguson High School, way west, southwest. And they go, they teach ballet, modern, contemporary, um, and they choreograph on the students. So they reach usually about 150 students. So are these students just signing up, putting their hand up? or These like, are students are that are already in a dance program. They're already in a dance program. So these schools, these regular elementary, are they middle schools or like what are they? Middle high and high schools. Middle and high schools, they have dance programs. So We're very lucky because... Um, because the people who live in South Florida come from faraway places where dance and music and art is part of um, the infrastructure, they expect it and our superintendent makes sure that it happens. We have more magnet schools for dance than almost any um, school board around the country. So for us, it's sort of a no-brainer. We have professionals, we want to infuse the training, they're in public school. We have the students that are there training, and we have the teachers that are usually um, doing their best to give them pre-professional training, but they have to fundraise to bring in outside teachers. So we bring this program in completely free to them, mm. sponsored by Miami-Dade County Department of Cultural Affairs and the Children's Trust, and we're able to reach these kids, give the support to the teachers, and we end up creating relationships with these students. Literally, I just saw... One of the students that I taught at South Miami performing with the New World um, School of the Arts College program at Aventura Friday night, I was waiting for someone. She came out. She goes, pulled down her mask. She said, I don't know if you recognize me, Miss B. You taught me at South Miami. And mm. she's graduating this year. She's already a heat dancer. So these are, we end up touching, um, reaching children that, um, grow into part of the dance community and if not that then certainly dance um, audiences and dance lovers well you're directly investing in your community and also the pipeline of more awesome students and then just growing the whole thing i mean if like the nba nfl mlb were not more competitive then i think those teams would take a more active interest in their communities at like growing the school's baseball programs having the coaches go give some tips and like it's like what you guys are doing but like like it'd be, I yeah, you guys are doing it because you can, and, and it's a little more closed uh, than like some of the more uh, competitive sports, you know, where it's all about competition and travel, and you know. But and, I, I and, think and what dan you're doing dance is, great. is a, an expensive art form, yeah. and we're very fortunate in Miami Dade County that the public school provides such good dance training for free. So instead of us investing in opening in a school and raising money, which would probably be better for our company and our pocketbooks, we end up going the more social program route and asking for grant money so that we can uh, augment these programs that are already free. So it is really our goal to reach in there. There's the, the one last aspect of our educational program, which is the Dance Now Youth Ensemble. That existed informally for years, and it was students that we reached through these programs that we invited to perform with the company as students. Now it's a, it's a formal partnership with Miami Arts Charter, and we have between six and 18 young dancers that we train and that they join us in the program. You will see Sunday, one of these students, Nicole Espinel, 
She is a student at Miami Arts Charter. She was um, in COVID quarantine all through last year. She never came back to school from March and all through last year. And she's one of their brightest, and we're bringing her to perform um, a solo with us at the show. So you'll get to see the level. I mean, she already did a summer program at Juilliard. So her, her future looks bright. But COVID was a hard hit, and so we're hoping that, you know, she gets to be on stage again, and, and it will thrill her, and it will thrill us. Is that your greatest joy, Hannah, is seeing the, young, the youth kind of come alive and grow and on stage? I would say it, it, it is. Um, and, and by the youth, I mean also our company dancers, <laughs> because they could be my children, uh, even though I'm only 26. Right. <laughs> no, it... Um, when I was younger, I loved performing so much, as I mentioned, it's what drew me and what kept me attracted to the art form. But other dancers can manifest so much more than I can right now, physically. And to watch them climbing up into those experiences, it's thrilling. Yeah, you're living vicariously. Completely. And you wear these turtlenecks, you could be like a vicar or whatever, like almost. Yes. Like well, I, I, does that come from that word? I don't even know. Vicariously. Ah, interesting. interesting. It could be because, uh, anyway. Um, yeah, so in terms of dance now, it sounds like you guys are growing a lot with the schools. Uh, is there any like big dream that you have or are you guys, are you living the dream? Well, we are in our 22nd year. We celebrated our 20th anniversary during COVID. That was um, that was challenging, and I think it really um, it had us uh, prove our mettle. So most performing arts organizations just cluster; they just shut down, closed up like a clam. We um, we are two. We're two directors, so we are we have twice the um, stubbornness and twice the ideas. And we said we're not shutting down. We're moving everything online. And it helped us to really understand our commitment. And we blossomed. We produced 12 co-videos. We did our 20th anniversary performance online. And we kept our dancers employed. So coming out of that, which was, you know, to make 20 years as a nonprofit organization of any sort is a big deal. But as a performing arts organization, even, even more, when the model is shifting from having an organization to just doing performances, just creating projects. Our greatest masterpiece is not our choreography. Although we might create some beautiful, important work. We have created a piece called Bridges Not Walls, which is about understanding the tribal nature of human beings and how important it is to overcome that nature. We've performed it um, in three on three continents with four different dance companies incorporated into the work on stage with us. We believe in our work, but we believe that dance now itself as an organization is our masterpiece. That what we have created is a community-based organization that has the wings to perform internationally, but we also have the commitment to bring 10 kids who can't afford it into Little Haiti Cultural Complex in the summer. So are we living the dream? Yes, we are. Awesome. Are there more goals? Absolutely. We are, um, as most contemporary dance companies, underfunded. We all have other jobs, the dancers, as well as Diego and myself. So, What's your other job? 
I teach part-time at a performing arts high school. Oh, so it's still a dance-related. Dance-related. Yeah. Um, most of the other uh, company members are in a dance or uh, fitness field. Some teach Pilates, some teach ballet fitness, some teach at gyms. Others are just servers. Some work, drive Uber. Yeah. You know? Um, but our dream would be that we would have um, enough support, which can't all come from grants and foundations. It has to come from um, the community rallying and, and deep pocket donors that mm-hmm. want to see this company as an right. establishment, you know, to have an endowment, to have a building, to have a full-time organization where the dancers were paid for a full week of work as opposed to, well, we're with them all week, they have to have the other jobs to make it up, and to be able to um, increase their community value. Right. So we're doing all of this while we're side-gigging to make our bills. Yeah. And many people don't know that about our organization. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess the more, the more you get the word out, the more people start, oh, I, I, like I've, I can't say that I've really, I mean, my sister, I used to dance like Irish, I mean, I can't say that I've been to like a full contemporary art performance for like an hour and a half, like, so like, this will be an experience for me, and, and it's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be very like, like interested in note-taking like what the experience of how it affects me but um and i would love to speak to you afterward yeah i'll be taking videos we'll do like instagram story of you forever you're a local voice so you'll have your own highlight reel on the instagram Fantastic. and uh coming right after the mayor daniela so it's like it's good timing uh and i'm excited to take cool videos of you forever and ever right because like forever and ever you'll have a highlight reel that i can take i can become a videographer and come capture your experience and and just uh, share it, you know. Like it brings me great joy to share the awesome people in Miami. So, that being said, uh, let's get some personality questions going here towards the end. Um, what was your favorite uh, country to like dance and perform in, or favorite city, favorite like audience that that was like wow, like I can't believe these people love dance so much, or like was anything that surprised you? Uh, you know, I I think that it's again. I'm I'm growing more and more to believe that life is all about that good fit. You know, something you want so much to be right, it sometimes lands flat. Mm. And I have to say that traveling with the work that we have traveled recently, the Bridges Not Walls, uh, which we performed in Mexico, uh, in in several locations, coming on the heels of the discourse about building the wall was very powerful, but it was more powerful in Italy where we performed it because one of the final segments of the piece is performed to a poem called Home by Warsan Shire, um, who talks about the experience of the immigrant and the, the very difficult challenge of being a stranger in a land where people don't want you, but you had to leave your home because as she says, home is the mouth of the shark, home is the barrel of the gun, Mm. and home is a place that you have to leave and you can't stay, and that's the only reason you leave is because you can't stay. And when we performed it in Italy, they were in the midst of their massive influx of immigrants uh, two years ago, and I think for those Italians, to hear and be reminded about the fact that these people invading their country 
that they are, were angry about were not there by choice. They were there because they had to. They mm-hmm. had to flee their home. That was, a, I think, a profound moment mm-hmm. for us. Um, and, and again, as you mentioned, because of the interaction with the audience, to hear that their responses, to hear how much it, it impacted them as, as a concept, uh, I think was really important. And then just recently when we traveled to Portugal during COVID, we ma- managed to eke out an international tour during COVID, which had a lot of paperwork and a lot of testing. Yeah. <laughs> and we performed a piece in Portugal called Anusim, What is Hidden is Never Lost, which was about the Inquisition in Portugal and how the Jews of Portugal were forced to sublimate uh, their Judaism and behave as Catholics, they call them new Christians, in order to stay in the country. And that also resonated very deeply with the the Portuguese that we were working with, I think because there is this um, new understanding of how... um, Or empathy. An empathy for how so many of us are being asked to hide who we are, whether it is in the, the gay community, people coming out and saying, I can't live like this, but also, I mean, I just recently found out Native Americans at one point in this country were required to hide their rituals and practice Christian rituals in order to participate in society. So I think the subject matter of the work is what made those performances so profound, mm-hmm. more than the places no right you're touching on some very very deep social issues and almost healing people in in, in their their you know perspective of it or um at least you know allowing them to accept what happened and, and look differently at it or have it had an experience of empathy for it so it's very powerful um all right so hand on the character uh, <laughs> i like asking this question because i'm realizing like this kind of defines these two things kind of define people. Oh, no. No, I, I, I think people don't like when I say two things define people because there's so many things that define people. But I like knowing, like, one, how do you celebrate? Like, like what is your, like, if, you, if something great happened right now and you're like, okay, this is great, I, I want to celebrate with, how do you celebrate? Uh, air, I love air. Like <laughs> driving with my windows open, like yeah. like open, just feeling air in my face. I love being near the ocean. Um, I mean, celebration. Um, not so much about having a party or gathering with people, but more about. Um, how, how, yeah, that's a good question. Well, often people will. I would take it like, oh, I love sharing great meals with family and friends, and like here's some of my favorite spots, and like this is where I celebrate on weekends, or like. I guess, what are your favorite spots in Miami? Also a question we asked around this time. Well, I would have to say, it's been hard since COVID because I I was shut in because I was working so much from home. Um, uh, Where's Hannah eat out? I mean, are you guys all uh, vegetarian, by the way? Oh, no, 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 no. Where where do I eat? Uh, I love the Neapolitan pizza. Omunocello on okay. uh, 60, I think 64th and Biscayne. Okay. It's real authentic Neapolitan. Have you tried pizza. La Legenda on, over here? La Legenda also very yes. good. Yes, that's authentic yeah. pizza as well. Um, I love the beach walk, the new path. Mm. So for me, because I, I sort of, I consider myself a New Yorker, even though I was born in California, because I spent so many years there, a long, beautiful walk 
all the way down that beach path to the end, right? It's it's open now. It's an incredible way way to travel, bicycle, skateboard, mm. whatever. I like to walk personally. Um, I love to hear live music. So I love the North Beach Band Show. It's an amazing yeah. venue near my house. Um, they have free concerts. They have uh, paid concerts. I like to go to um, uh, the Miami Beach Botanical Garden, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. both for private moments and for events. And the company performs there every year. We love it so much. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of where do I go to celebrate? Where would be my locations I would send people to? You know, um, I'm, an, I'm a kind of a, a neighborhood girl. So like for Cuban cuisine, I go to Las Vegas, which is on Collins and 71st. I'm a North Beach girl. Um, I like to go to um, La Sandwicherie. Yeah. One of the Classic. best. Classic. And now they have one in North Beach. And Moises Bakery, which is a Venezuelan bakery with a cachito that will kill you. Uh, I just saw a girlfriend for the first time in probably eight years. She hasn't been in Miami in eight years. And the first thing she said is that we're going to Mo- Moises Bakery. They have the best cafe con leche in all of Miami, I have to say. Okay. The best. Um, and it comes with sugar automatically, so just don't even try to get it without sugar. And... Um, Wait, that's plenty. I think we got some new stuff for everyone yeah. to check out. I mean, I love that because I, I don't know, it keeps it different. Sometimes you get stale and like, oh, I always get this and that and like, no, like I want ideas of fun new places to try because Hannah mentioned it and like I want to empathize with your experience and like, yeah, it's like, that's that's one reason we end the podcast with those kind of questions. One other question we ask is like, what's one of your like good healthy habits or, you know, how you deal with stress? Like what's something that keeps you strong? Like like in terms of like your character and, and maybe a mantra or like just some kind of like, usually it's the morning where you develop your strength, right? Before going out and sharing it or facing the world. Well, I, yeah, I'm actually a night person. So I do kind of my preparation for the day at night. Oh yeah. My mornings are filled with finishing my dreams. So I, I have to wake up and then I have to go back to sleep and finish my dreams. So then I, when I wake up, I'm awake and I just go. But things like for me, um, healthy things that I like to do red wine turmeric two very important things Powerful. in my life um, I just found out recently that turmeric is actually a blood thinner so if you take turmeric you should not take too many other any other blood thinners like Advil aspirin things mm-hmm. like that it's not that great for you but turmeric is great for you uh, red wine I love I think red wine is fantastic it's favorite good. kind of red wine um, I like Spanish wine and Italian wine um, dry, bold and dry are the red wines that I like. Um, and um, I would have to say things are tough all over, right? We are in the center of a global pandemic. We have more political and personal divide around the world that we can see and feel because of technology. Probably we had this all before because humans haven't changed that much ever. But we feel it now. And I caught myself recently with just the poutiest face on a, on a film that I did. And so my most recent drive for positivity, because I, I think of myself as a very positive person, is what they call the yogic smile, which is just turn up the little corners of your mouth. Just, no, 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 just, just a little bit. 
Sometimes it gets really strong though. Well, like, then, then you ride <laughs> but it. But it just happens. You ride that, it out. You ride yeah. that out. <laughs> Can't because, force it though. It's no. nice when it just happens. So yeah. instead of being here, I try to be now here. I try to relax. Like I literally just say, like, relax your face, because like sometimes you know, yoga teachers ever tell you, like, relax your face, relax your, your jaw, tongue, relax, relax your, your ear, relax yes, your, exactly. your eyes. You can literally like relax your face as like a, as, like something you actively do. You know, so sometimes you can be like you know deciding, making a decision, or you know you got to figure something out. That, that's life, and and you get all you know tense, and you know you get you get like a frown, you know, because it's even healthy frowns are good, but. At some point, you gotta like remind yourself. Okay, that's over. Like, relax your face. Like, and I think yeah, that that yogi smile. Uh, just yeah, like this. Incredible. It's just, it's just a little. It's just so that if you are, you want. We all need to live in the moment, and you want the moment to be the best moment it can be. It's one of the things you learn as a performing artist. Is there are no do overs. It's happening here. It's happening now. It's why the experience is so intimate. It's why you, the experience with your audience is a, a profound shared moment because it will never happen that way again. And so you really track this thing of time going by. You don't want to miss it anymore. Like you, you start having FOMO of like, like you've, you've, you've kind of like observed life to an extent where like you don't want to be in your head as much because you want to be experiencing you want to be observing you want to like notice things that you noticed before and like you're upping your your power for uh, for noticing and, and, and observe observation and cool. and you want to and you want to experience that moment to its fullest you don't want to be outside yourself looking in it's really the ears too um, so for me like where my some people's minds might go towards a thought or an anxiety or something I just like actively go to the ears and like see how like little of a detail can I pick out like you know in the in the in outside like in the community if I'm outside like you just listen to the littlest things and it, it's changing right you need some variety you need the, the the sounds to keep changing but they do at, at the very core level everything is changing and, and there's little changes happening so listening is really how you get out of your head I think um, besides observing amazing artistic performances which obviously will get you out of your head so Everyone should come to uh, the Fall for Dance Now, North Beach Fan Shell, this Sunday. Um, yeah, we're gonna do some promo. I'm gonna try to do some promo finally of uh, like this on Facebook. You know, we'll spread it to dance lovers. That you would know? be great. Like, and and you know, way, we, we be, have we have a heavy month because we have Fall for Dance Now, which is no Sunday, November 14th, November 27th and 28th. We're participating in a show called Men Who Dance, which is about oh. drawing attention to the male dancer and the male paradigm. That's at the Broward Center for the Performing Arts. December 9th, we're performing in a piece about dance and video. That's at Miami Lightbox as part of a Miami Dance Hub performance. And then December 11th is our, oh, my stomach is grumbling, pardon me, uh, is our um, Stories for the Holidays. And then we're going to wrap up the, the winter with a beautiful show at Miami Shore, December 11th. You can find out about all this stuff on our website. Yeah. But, uh, and then... If you like dance and you want to support us, or if you want to support any nonprofit, Thursday, November 18th is Give Miami Day. Yeah, yeah. And that's when you can browse and give $25 to all the groups that you think are going to make a difference in Miami, and um, your $25 will make a difference. Right, that's great to remind everybody. Um, all right, last question. I used to say, oh, like someone, you know, you think we should interview. Usually people just end up like giving out like dance or someone in their circle, you know, like, oh, like you should interview Diego. 
But like, I'm gonna flip it right now. What? Who's your favorite Miami like celebrity? It could be like a musician. Could be like a um, a player. Could be anything. Well, I have to say my favorite celebrity right now is someone who has become a good friend during COVID, and that's Sammy Figueroa, the Latin oh, jazz yeah. professional. Oh, yeah. Actually, it's funny. Uh, two doors down, my one of my good friends, Mac, and, and his girlfriend, they actually, uh, I think they met him by, like, they were Craigslisting some of their stuff or something, and they, like, they, like, met, and then got, and they became friends, like, so I've been connected with Sammy, and Fran, I think Fran knows Sammy. I think Sammy is someone that I'm excited to meet, because, uh, yeah, I've just seen a lot of weird connections start happening. Yeah, well, that's the, there you go. There's the fit. No, Sammy Figueroa, he is uh, one of the most humble legends that we have in our midst. I mean, he played, not just did a gig with, but played and toured with Miles Davis. Is a Miles Davis book, was very close to him. Um, David Bowie, every jazz, major jazz um Legend, he has pretty much worked with, and he's right here in our own miss. He has a, a radio show at WDNA. Yeah, no, Fran loves his show. Yeah, all right, well, we'll make that happen. He'll be one of the guests this season. I can't wait to, to meet him. Um, he might be at the show Sunday. Yeah, oh, yeah, in an intro right there. Awesome, all right, well, Hannah, I'm so excited. This like couldn't have lined up better, like where we have like a cool event to go check out, we get to take some cool video of you. There's Give Miami Day coming up next week, so I think it's time to like do our best to shine more of a light on, on the arts and, and, you know, people need some motivation sometimes to spend their money on the arts and, and go to the arts instead of being in their own little world and Netflix all the time, you know, like people need a little push and so we can be that push together, right? The human experience. Let's do it. <laughs> the human experience.